for many guys that are really my age or really probably 30 and up, I think when we look back on our lives, it was somewhere around uh, middle school, maybe junior high, if you called it junior high in your, your uh, school system, but it was somewhere around middle school or junior high that you began to realize just how much of a sense of humor God actually has. Uh, because middle school or junior high, and I can't speak for girls, I know middle school or junior high is tough for girls with all the drama, but for guys, it is just an awkward time of hot mess. I don't know if many of you can remember back to your junior high, middle school years, but it is just a difficult time of discovering who you are and probably the culmination of awkwardness, the culmination of, of all of that takes place in gym class in middle school. Uh, you know, gym class for my grade back when I was in school was the first time we were ever uh, given the opportunity to have to go actually to a locker room. You would leave your class and you'd go to gym, and before you were going to gym, you'd have to go into the locker room and change. Uh, we had gym outfits. I don't know if any of you had gym outfits, but we had, and I, I use that term loosely, outfits, okay? Uh, because these weren't really outfits. They were uh, really pairs of shorts that I think were holdovers from the 1950s, uh, cotton shorts shorts. Uh, they came in two sizes. They came in large or extra large. That was either a 38 inch waist or a 42 inch waist. And unfortunately, most of us at 12 or 13 were 26 or 28 inch waist. So these things look like bloomers. I mean, they were huge and you had a string that tied them in the front and you would have to wrap them around yourself. And, and you, you know what junior high was like. I mean, you got some people in there, guys are late bloomers. Uh, you got some guys that are in there and they look exactly like like they did in third grade, uh, you know, you know, clean cut, tiny, four foot tall. In the same class, standing next to him, you got a guy that's six foot tall and has been shaving for two years. I mean, that's that's middle school. You know, you got some that are dealing with a growth spurt. You know, their bean poles are just nothing but rails, and you got others that are still trying to lose the baby fat from their childhood years. And and here we all are trying to fit in to these gym shorts. And, and I always found it ironic that on the back of these gym shorts, they would have the initials of the school so that if somebody stole them, that they would know where to find them. Now, I don't know who in the world, I think people stole all the smalls and medium 15, 20 years ago. And so all we had left were these gym shorts and our shirts we got to wear just white shirts. Now, they were white cotton shirts, and junior high guys, you know, you don't take them home to wash them. So, you know, they stand, you could just take them off and stand them up in your locker room. You know, they were that bad. And if you were, you know, there was always a, a little minority of guys that didn't wear shirts. They would, you know, they were guys that wanted to show off their stomachs or show off, you know, their genetically altered abs that were different than anybody else. And so we always had two or three guys that would go skins. And then, you know, you always had skins for everybody if you picked teams and you got stuck on the skins team. You don't talk about awkward, how horrible that time was. And to round it all off, most of us wore Chuck Taylors. Uh, when I was in junior high, Nikes hadn't come out yet. Adidas hadn't come out. They didn't come out for a couple more years. So you had Chuck Taylors or kids or, uh, you know, your PF Flyers that are old and worn out. And so that was what we wore. And I want you to get that in your mind, to picture this, this room full of awkwardness, this, this group uh, full of awkward teenage boys and how difficult it is to overcome this. And I say overcome it because, uh, unfortunately, at my school, we shared the gym with the girls' PE class. And so they had half of it, and we had half of it. Now, you can imagine those girls, what we were, how impressive we were is we came out in our outfits 
uh, our bloomers, you know, and, and they're the girls that we one day want to try to impress staring at us. So it was just awkward. It was, it was horrible when I look back on it and think about all the feelings that you had having to come out of the locker room. But probably the quintessential moment of awkwardness, and all of us can relate to this, was when you heard the coach say the words, we're going to pick teams today. We're going to divide up and choose teams. Now, you know, I, I was a middle-of-the-pack kind of guy. I was never the first one chosen. One time I was the first one chosen. I bribed one of my buddies that I would give him my lunch. if He chose me first, and he did. And, uh, it was a great victory for me. I think people wrote in my yearbook, I remember the day you were chosen first. and all that kind of, But I never got chosen first. I was not, but I never got chosen last. Like I said, I was a middle-of-the-pack guy. But it was always awkward. You can remember what it was like. The coach would pick two people and he would say, okay, now we're going to choose teams. And everyone just stands there like a cattle call. And those people start picking and start picking. I want him and I want him and I want him. And just the feeling. Some of you remember, I mean, I'm kind of getting queasy just thinking back to what it was like. Those feelings of of standing there and having your name passed over and having your name passed over. uh, You know, even knowing that I probably wasn't going to be last, it was just so awkward. Uh, You know, and even worse, you know, the the guys would start hesitating. You kind of get to that last two-thirds, which most of the time I was in that last two-thirds. I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. And, you know, and I'd look just like a pair of shorts and a head is all I look like. And so, you know, I'm standing there and and they're kind of picking and picking and, and, you know, the coach, they hesitate, and the coach says, hey, why don't you pick Gunther? You know, and the guy goes, nah. You know, <laughs> you know I'll take that guy, you know. And, and, and so it's so, it just so awkward. But then all of a sudden, in the middle of that, you hear what you've been waiting to hear. You hear your name called. One of them looks at you and says, I, I choose him. I, I choose Gunther. And you see, at that point, the moment you hear your name called, it doesn't matter where you were picked it doesn't matter where you came in that line because all that mattered at that moment was you were a part of a team you were called out you were chosen you know the bible has a word for that bible has a word for being called out for being chosen matter of fact it's used over 128 times in the new testament it's the word ecclesia And the word ecclesia, you don't read it in your Bible because that's the Greek word. Uh, The word that we have in our English translation is church. You see, when you think of the word church, we think of this. We think of a building we drive by. We think of a sign out front. We, we think of where we go on Sundays or Wednesdays or, or pews and pulpits and platforms and stages. But that's not what the church is. You see, the Bible clearly says that the church are those that are called out, those that are chosen. You see, most of us in this room, at some time in our life, we heard Jesus call our name. Didn't matter what we were bringing to the team. Didn't matter what, what we had to offer. Didn't matter what, what you know, qualities we had or even when we were chosen or where we were chosen. What matters is he called our name. He called us out and we responded. And we became a part of a team. A team that is much bigger than anything we can imagine. We became a part of the ecclesia. And because of that, because of that team that we're now a part of, we have an opportunity to change the world. 
to make a difference. You know, we've been talking about the church for the past couple of weeks. And this morning and, and next week, I'll finish talking about the church. I'm going to start a new series. We're going to start walking through the book of Ephesians. I encourage you, don't miss it. it. It is unbelievable what God has to say through the book of Ephesians. But as we continue talking about the church, this morning, I want you to begin to think about how the church, those that are called out. Now, when I use church, I, I hate to use them. I may use ecclesia because when you say church, people automatically think of church. I'm talking about those that heard their name called, were called out, and are now part of a team. And you see, in this church, those that are called out are a part of the local church. You're a part of the First Baptist team. Those of you that are visitors from out of town, you're a part of your local church. And you now have an opportunity to be on that team and to do things that you could have never done on your own, to do things that you could never imagine were possible on your own now because you're a part of the team. See, that's what Jesus established when he started the church. That's what Jesus created when he created this ecclesia. See, it's amazing. I want you to think about this for just a minute. In Jesus' time, if you wanted to worship, if you wanted to do what we just did, this worship that we had, to have an experience with Jesus Christ or with God at that time, if you wanted to go and have an encounter with God, you would have to go to the temple. It's the only place that you could go. You had to go to a place, a specific place, but not everybody could go. You see, it was exclusive. When you got to the temple, if you had the heart, if you had the intention to want to worship God, there were walls that guarded it. And only certain people could get in. You see, if you were considered unclean, if, if you had disease, if you were handicapped, if you were sick, if there was something going on in your family, you were unclean. You couldn't even get past the outer walls. Can you imagine what that must have been like to want to go worship God and you had to sit at the gates. You know, many times when Jesus healed, he healed those that were sitting around the gates just trying to get in on what was going on all day watching people coming and going that were worshiping God. And then even if you made it past those gates, only certain people could go past the next group of gates. See, if you made it past those gates, then you came to what was called the court of the Gentiles. And, and those are people that were non-Jewish people. And they had to stay out here to worship. They couldn't go to the next level. They couldn't go to, to experience God's presence and God's power. They stayed out here. And then those that got to go into the next gates, those that were of the Jewish faith, those that were the old, old covenant, they walked into this next level of worship. But even those people couldn't go any further. Because in the middle of that courtyard, there was a building called the Holy Place. And only select people, only those that were priests, could go into this special place. But even those spiritual, holy men could only go so far. Because you see, in that holy place, there was a veil that separated it in two. And only one person, the high priest, could go into that veil one time a year and experience worship face to face with God. So I want you to think about that. Think about how different it is today. Today, if you've been called out today, if you're a part of the team, you can worship God anywhere, any place, anytime, face to face. Because you see, when Jesus Christ showed his love for us by giving his life on the cross, he not only tore down that veil that separated men and God, he broke down the walls of separation. He said, we're no longer going to have Gentiles and Jews and spiritual people and unspiritual. There's no longer going to be unclean and clean because he said, I make everyone clean. I make a way for everyone to worship God in spirit and truth, to come face to face. 
See, you're now part of a different team. There are no walls. There are no separations. L- listen how Paul describes this team. Listen to what he says this team is like. Here, this is from Colossians. There is no Greek, no Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised. There's no barbarian. There's no Scythian. There's no slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Listen how he says the same thing to the Galatians. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are of Abram's seed and heirs according to the promise. You see, what Jesus did when he established the church was revolutionary. People today like to say, well, the church is backwards and the church is, you know, church doesn't do this. And church, it was created to be revolutionary. Men and women worshiping together, uh, Jew and, and, and Gentile worshiping together, free and slave worshiping together, all a part of the same team. And see, you and I this morning, we are a continuation of that team. We've been called out. We've been called out to do something greater than we ever could imagine. Now, if you read Paul's letters, you'll hear a theme throughout it of him describing the Christian walk much like an athletic event. Many times he talks about running the race. He talks about, you know, winning the race, giving it everything he has. So this morning, what I want you to do for just a moment is to think about this team that God's called out called the Ecclesia, the church. Those that are called out for a purpose, and many of you have been called out. And I want to talk about how those in that team compare to an athletic team. But not just any athletic team, to a a very successful championship team. Because you see, I think the same similarities that make a championship team also make the church healthy and effective. See, if we can look at some of the things that God's created in us as the team that God selected to, to be here in Blowing Rock, to be here in Watauga County, to be here in this area of northern North Carolina, if we could ever learn something from how an effective team becomes a championship team, we will understand what it means to be called out. So for just a few minutes, I want to look at this passage, and I want to give you some similarities that I see. Now, I'm only going to give you three. You could probably come up with ten especially those of you that have ever been a part of a team, ever been a part of an athletic group. Because there's so many things that are similar. But, and if you go to a small group after this, you'll have a chance to talk about some of those things that maybe you come up with. But these are the ones that the Holy Spirit put on my heart to tell this team, to tell this group, to tell this ecclesia, the called out ones. So if you have your blue sheet, you can look there. If you want to look it up in your Bible, I want to read just a couple of passages from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Starting in verse 23, he's talking about persevering. He's talking about not giving up. He's talking about to to the Jewish believers. He says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Let us not give up holding tightly to the one who called us. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but instead let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. See what was going on in this time as the church was facing persecution. Outside forces were persecuting those that were a part of the ecclesia, part of the team, part of the church. And and the easiest way for them to identify who was a part of the team was to go where they gathered. And if they were all gathered there, they could stand outside the meeting place and go, okay, he's a part, he's a part, he's a part. Let's persecute him. Let's get him fired. Let's get his family persecuted. 
And so some of the Christians were saying, listen, I'm not, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to go and, and gather together to worship God because of the persecution I face. Some, some just stopped going. Some were just drifting away. Some never really bought into what the team had, and they just kind of started drifting away. And so what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, you can't give up. But you see, you're a team, and, and without being a part of the called out ones, you'll never be as effective as you were when you were with them. You see, you and I were created to be in community. It, this, it's in our DNA, and even non-Christians recognize that. If you think about the TV shows that are the most popular TV shows in the last 30 years, what are they about? They're about groups of friends that sometimes they're awkward, sometimes they just happen to be thrown together because of where they live or the bar they go to or because of where they work, but it's about a group of friends that become a community and how they interact. Why? Because God created us to be a part of a community. And part of the purpose of the church is to belong to that community, to be a part of a team. You see, you have a longing inside of you to, to fit in somewhere, to connect somewhere. Because God, you know, Paul describes it as the body when he describes a church. And it's perfect illustration. Talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He says, you know, it, you're connected. One of you is the arm and the other are the fingers. And without the arm, the fingers don't work. You can walk around and have the prettiest fingers and the strongest fingers. But if there's no arm there, it doesn't work. Why? Because we're connected. Today, there's this idea that we can do church without the church. People say, I don't have to go to church. I can do church on my own. I can, I can go and worship God and do whatever the church. You can't. It's impossible. Because it's not church if you're not connected together with others that have been called out. You see, the reason that we have the church is, is because that is the means by which God chose to release his power in the world. You may not like the religious rituals. You may not like, you know, the church is a mess. The church can be a mess, but it's full of messed up people. If you're looking for a perfect church, let me tell you something. If you find one, don't go join it because you'll only mess it up. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And so we say, well, I'm not going to go to church. Listen, the church is the avenue by which God uses to reach the world. That's why some of the most effective nonprofit organizations that are parachurch, they're all tied in. They partner with the church because they know the church is where the power is. That's why the most effective missionaries that are around the world, they are tied in to the local church. They are plugged in to the local body because even though they may be in the midst of uh, difficulties around the world, they know that they are tied in to the power source that God created in the church. You're created to be a part of a team and if you're not being a part of the team, you are never going to be as effective. You're never going to be fulfilled. You'll never be who God's called you to be, and you'll never achieve what God wants you to achieve when you're tied in with other people. See, the Bible says you've been given spiritual gifts. Those spiritual gifts aren't for you. They're for the church. They're to be used in the church in conjunction with what God has created us to be. You know, to, to be a Christian and not be a part of the church is like being a football player that's not a member of a team. I want you to picture this in your head. Picture a guy that's fully suited up. All, he's got the shoulder pads, he's got the helmet on, he's got the football pants on, he's got his cleats, he's got his gloves, he's got his jersey on. And he's just walking around looking for a team. You may be the strongest, the fastest, the most talented. But if you don't become a part of the team, you never get in the game. And there are so many in the world today that say, I don't need the church. You know, I've got all this to offer. Let me tell you something. You'll never fulfill what God has gifted you as long as you're not on the team. 
God has called us to be a part of the local team. That's why we talk about joining a church. That's why we talk about getting in a small group, getting in a Bible study group, get somewhere that you can get plugged in and be a part of an effective team. So how is the church, how are the ecclesia tied in? What did he say here? Well, let me give you three things, only three, that I think the church, to be effective and healthy, has to be like an athletic team. What's the first thing that coaches tell athletes? We expect you to give 110%. We expect you to give everything that you have. You see, the first way for a church to become healthy is those that are a part of the team have to give everything that they've got. You ever have your coach tell you, I want you to leave everything on the field? I want you to leave everything on the court? Don't hold anything back? You see, for us to be effective as a church, those that are called out have to be willing to say, it's all yours. And I talked about this last week. You know, God's not looking for more effort from you. God doesn't want you to be more committed. The Bible doesn't ever say you need to be more committed. You need to try harder. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, raise the white flag, surrender. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. And when you surrender, then all of a sudden you find the effort. All of a sudden you find the, the, the commitment to want to do more. Why? Because you've surrendered. You've given yourself over to God. God's looking for those to be a part of his team that raise the white flag and say, I'm all in. You ever hear a coach talk about a player buying into the program, buying into the plan, says, you know, we got a great athlete, you know, he's talented, he's, he's gifted, but, you know, and if he'll buy into our plan, if he'll buy into our program, he's going to be a fantastic player. Why? Because there's too many athletes that, you know, coach says, this is what you want you to do, and the athlete says, no, I'm better at doing this. And they fight, and they fight, and the athlete never reaches his potential. It's the same way in the church. God says, I want you to surrender to me because I've got a plan. I'm going to use you the way you were created to be used. And we say, well, but no, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. I don't. Oh. The students were challenged this week. Louis Giglio spoke. He challenged the students using from the book of Colossians. Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do in life, anything that God calls you to do. You know, when you give your life to God, he, he doesn't call you. You know, most of us are scared to surrender because when we surrender, we're afraid God's going to, you know, have us living in a hut in Africa. So we say, I don't want to surrender. God's not going to have you do anything that you don't want to do. If God's going to call you to a hut in Africa, he's going to put in your heart a passion to want to go live in a hut in Africa. See, what God says is whatever you do, Businessman, teacher, lawyer, school teacher, home uh, parent that stays at home, pastor, whatever it is that you have a passion to do, Paul says you do it with everything that you've got. Give it everything that you've got, but do it to the glory of God. Be the best lawyer, be the best teacher, be the best mother at home. But when you do it, you give glory to God for all that he's gifted you with. See, God's looking for people to surrender to him, to buy into the plan, to say, I'm all in. You know, one of the most frustrating points in our life is to look back at times we could have made a difference, but we didn't, and wonder what we could have done to change that. What more we could have given. You ever had those times where you think, what else could I have done? Surely there was something I could have done to make a difference there. And most of the time, it's because we didn't surrender something. I'll never forget the end of Schindler's List, wonderful movie, Oscar Schindler, who saved hundreds, if not thousands, of Jews from going to the concentration camps. And he, they're saying goodbye to him, and he's leaving the camp, and they, they've been rescued. And as he looks at him, he's overcome with this sense that he probably could have done more. 
And he's getting in his car and he's saying, I could have done more. He looks at his watch. He's, this watch, I, I could have sold this watch and I could have saved 10 lives. I could have got rid of this car and saved 100 lives. And so many of us in our life, we're going to come to the end and we're going to look back at our life and say, I could have done so much more if I'd only surrendered, if I'd only given God everything. See, God is looking for a team that are made up of people that are willing to give everything, surrendering unconditionally. When I was a kid, I used to love watching Cal Ripken Jr. play baseball. Some of you may not have seen him. The thing I loved about Cal Ripken Jr. is no matter what was going on, he played with 100%. I mean, he could have hit a dribbler to the pitcher, and he ran as hard and fast as he could to first base. It could be the bottom of the ninth, and they're down 10 runs, and he is still going 100%. Why? Because he knew that he had to give it his all. Because one of those times, by giving it his all, he was going to win. One of those times, by giving it everything he had, he was going to overcome. You see, the church, those that are called out from God, give it everything. When times get tough, when things get difficult, when you don't know where you're going, we don't quit, we don't bail out, we don't give half, we give everything. See, if we're going to be an effective, healthy, called-out team, church for God, we have to have people that are willing to give everything. The second thing that I think it's similar to a professional team, a team that's successful, is we have to learn to put the team's needs above our own. It's one of the hardest things for us to do. How many times have you seen great teams with great athletes implode and underachieve because the star athlete put his stats his needs, his wants before the rest of the team. I mean, you can be the best athlete, you can be the most gifted, most talented, but if you're not understanding that you're a part of a team, the team will never win. The team will never be effective. They start worrying about their contract and getting me the ball and getting their names out and, and their publicity, and they stop worrying about doing what the team was created to do in the first place, and that's win. And we do the same thing in church. Members start thinking that my ministry or my group or my class or this person is more important than the mission and call of the church. All of a sudden we start tying in and saying this is, this is the most important thing. And I, this needs to get more publicity and this group needs to get better recognition and this person needs... Listen, there is no person and there is no ministry that is bigger than the church as a whole. For us to become the team, the church that God's called us to, we've got to learn that we are all in it together. How wonderful is it when you see star athletes that give of themselves to elevate the players around them to become better. All of a sudden, they start passing the ball instead of taking the shot. Why? Because they're trying to elevate the team. They realize by that making other people better, they're not going to be guarded as much. Or they're not going to be covered as much. It, it doesn't matter how much publicity they get. It doesn't matter how much recognition they get. They're in to get to the championship. You see, in the church, we've got to get to the place where our passage said here in Hebrews, where we can spur one another on, where we can lift each other up, where we can put the needs of others before ourselves. See, the greatest churches that are succeeding in the world today are filled with people that lift each other up and make each other better, that encourage one another, that spur one another on to surrendering, to keep going. We've got to learn to put the team's needs above our own spurring one another on, giving everything that you have. And then the last thing I want you to think about, and probably one of the most important, what makes a championship team a championship team? What makes a healthy and effective church a healthy and effective church? As we learn to celebrate 
one another and stand together. You see, you watch a championship football team. When the offense is on the field, the defense is lining the sidelines, cheering them on, yelling for them. When the defense is on the field, the offense is out there yelling for them. Why? Because they know that what they do is going to affect them. Because they're a team. You watch a championship basketball team. You know, the Spurs were a perfect picture of this. Some of you may not be basketball fans. You know, the Spurs didn't have all the big-name stars. They had the older guys. They had some guys that were good. But they had guys that, that tried to elevate each other. And you watch them on the, the sidelines as they were playing in the NBA championship. Those guys that never even got to see the court. I mean, got, you know, sure, they make a million dollars a year just to sit there, you know, with a towel wrapped around their neck and their warm-ups. But those guys didn't just sit there pouting, I'm not going to get on the court. I'll never see the ball. Man, they were cheering. They were yelling. They were screaming. Why? Because they were a part of the team. They got the same championship ring that Tony Parker got. Tim Duncan. They got the same ring. They got to say, I'm a part of the championship. And you see, for the church to ever be effective and reach out, we've got to realize that we are a part of the team. And we've got to learn to celebrate each other. Lift each other up, he says. Encourage one another. Spur each other on. You can always tell when a team starts falling apart, when they start getting jealous of one another. They start getting mad because that guy's making more money. They start blaming each other. You hear them in interviews after a loss. They say, well, I'm doing my part. I do everything I can. They need to step it up. Those teams are always headed for a crash, and it's the same thing in church. Too many churches feel like they're in a competition with one another. When one group does good, the others get jealous, and instead of celebrating and lifting them up, they pull them down and nitpick. One ministry has a great success. Instead of celebrating that ministry, one small group or Sunday school class is getting big, and people are going, and, and, and it's excited. Instead of celebrating what's going on, what God's doing there, we get over here and get mad. Like we're in a competition. We will never succeed as long as all we do is tolerate each other. Because the Bible doesn't say in Hebrews, learn to tolerate each other. We've got to learn to celebrate. Celebrate our differences. We may worship different. We may, we may go to different classes. We may like different songs. We may like different styles. But that's okay. We're a part of a team and we celebrate each other. We don't pull each other down and tear each other apart. We encourage and lift up and bless. Because that's what a team does. We make those around us better because they're a part of the team. We will never be a, the, the church that God's called us to be, the church that God's called us out to be until we learn to celebrate one another. Let me just say this. If you can encourage and bless and lift up those people who are a part of your team, then you may need to find another team. Because all you're doing is destroying the work that God has put on that team to do. See, we've been called out for a purpose. We've been called out to be a team. We've been called out to be the ecclesia, the church. We've been called out here locally, First Baptist Church, to make a difference in this community. And God has incredible plans for this church. I believe it with all my heart. I believe what God is going to do in and through this church is greater than anything you or I could ever imagine. Reaching people, people coming to know Christ, helping those that are hurting. Helping families come together, connecting families, helping our young people and children hear about the word of Jesus Christ, making them excited about being a part of God's family. 
But I believe that's only going to happen if we can come together, if we can surrender our will to His, give everything to Him, if we surrender what's best for the team above what's best for us. When we began to learn to celebrate, encourage, and lift each other up, you see, that is the ecclesia. That is those that are called out. As many of you know, I'm a big Texas A&M fan. Uh, grew up in, in Texas, and Texas A&M, if you're familiar, ha- have a lot of crazy traditions. It's probably one of the most tradition-rich schools uh, that there is in the country, and probably its most famous tradition is more than just a tradition. It's a part of their history, and that is that they are called the home of the 12th man. Now, you understand that on a football team, you have 11 players on the field at any time, and so the 12th man would be an extra football player, and the reason they're called the home of the 12th man. The reason why it's trademarked to Texas A&M is because it's a part of their history. In 1922, January 2nd, 1922, Texas A&M was playing the defending national champion, Center College. And they were playing in what was called the Dixie Classic in Dallas, which eventually became the Cotton Bowl. And their coach, Dana X. Bible, had a wonderful team, a great team, and they were doing wonderfully, but their players kept getting hurt. And by the time it got to halftime, they were only left with 11 healthy players. And if they had one person get hurt, they would be a man down. And and, and there's no way you can win with a man down. And so at halftime, Coach Bible remembered as he was standing on the sidelines, he saw on the first row of the student section a young man by the name of E. King Gill that had tried out for the team that year in 1921. But he didn't make the team, but he was a very talented player. And so the coach had the manager go out and get Gil and bring him to him. And Coach Bible asked him, he said, listen, I don't know that we'll need you, but would you be willing to suit up and stand to the side? And if somebody gets hurt, we'll have to put you in the game. And Gil said, I'm in. So for the rest of the game, they didn't need him, but he stood over there on the side, suited up and ready. And from that time, 1922 till now, every home game, all Aggie fans, students, alumni, they stand the entire game. I mean the entire game. If you've ever gone to a game, I don't even know why they sell seats because nobody sits in them. You stand the whole time. And the significance of them standing is to say, listen, just like E. King Gill, I want you to know, coach, that if you need somebody, I'm ready. Put me in. Count on me. I want to be a part of the team. You may not need me, but if you do and when you do, I'm standing here and I'm ready. See, what I want you to understand is God is looking for some people in this ecclesia that are willing to stand and say, count on me. They're willing to say, put me in. They're willing to say, I'm all in. I've surrendered. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to put the team. I'm ready to put the church before me and see what God wants to do. Are you willing to stand? Let's pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, God's looking for some people that are willing to stand for this church, willing to stand for your church. If you're a visitor, a guest, wherever you're a member, God's looking for some people that are willing to say, God, you can count on me. I'm willing to surrender. I'm willing to give everything I have. I'm willing to surrender my needs, my will for the good of the church. 
I believe God's looking for some people willing to do that. God's about to unleash blessings on this place. We need, we need ministry people. We need teachers. We need leaders. God's looking for some people to say, I want to step up and be a part of the team. You may not call on me now. You may not need me now, but I'm standing and I'm ready. So this morning as we sing, I, I'm just going to ask in your heart and in your spirit, if you would tell God, yes, I'm in. may not be here, maybe your church, but you say, God, I'm in. Count on me. I've been called out. I heard my name called. I'm on the team. And I'm ready to go. Some of you, you need to make it official. You've been coming here and coming here. God's saying, listen, are you, are you in? You say, I want to join the church. I'm here. Some of you need to surrender your life to Christ. You've never given him everything. Whatever God's calling you to do, I pray that you listen to his voice this morning. Make the words of this song be your heart cry. Father, speak to us. Bless us. Move in us. Let us be what you're calling us to be this morning. Let us be the ecclesia, the called out ones. Called out for this time and this place in Blowing Rock, North Carolina to make a difference. God, we surrender. We raise the white flag this morning. Just stand and worship. Yeah.